Yo, yo, welcome to the Forum Club. I'm your host, Yovan Buha, Lakers beat writer for The Athletic. And today we are doing a solo pod. This is my first solo pod in a couple months, at least, if not three. Uh, first solo pod since the beginning of the season. And we are doing a Q&A episode. And this is my first Q&A episode of the season, I believe, uh, off the top of my head. So uh, excited for this. I'm coming to you live from New York, where the Lakers uh, beat the Brooklyn Nets 106-96 last night in Anthony Davis's return. So without further ado, let's get into some questions. This one is from We Move on Twitter. Uh, what is your ideal Lakers starting lineup? Uh, this is something I was actually just talking about uh, with Kyle Goon uh, of the Southern California News Group last night at the game. I I think obviously you go LeBron, AD, and Russ. And uh, well, maybe not obvious for some people. I, I think there's the, the crowd that wants to bench Russ. Uh, and while I, I think there's a legitimate argument there uh, that maybe he would be more effective as a six man, I don't think that's realistic. So uh, Russ is going to start, you know, closing games is maybe a different topic, but Russ is starting. They're, they're not bringing him off the bench. So you got Russ, LeBron, and AD, and I think you slot them in at 80 at the five, LeBron at the four, Russ at the one. So you need a, you know, basically two starting wings. Right now, that's been Avery Bradley. And then in the Nets game, it was Stanley Johnson who replaced Trevor Ariza. And for me, I I actually would would mix things up. And I think if you want to keep Stanley in there, I think you need a little more shooting. So I would probably look at Malik Monk at that other guard spot and, and maybe go Monk and, and Stanley. If you want to stick with Avery, which seems to be Frank's preference, uh, and, and him kind of being that 3 and D, Six one, six two guard. Uh, I would probably go a little more, maybe looking for a little more two way versatility than Stanley Johnson, and that's maybe where I look at Austin Reeves and go Austin and Avery, and that way you have another shooter there in Austin and another really good defender. You know, I think Austin. Uh, you know, the, the Crusoe comparisons are funny and people like to continue to make them, but like he is a really solid multi-positional defender. And, and his one weakness defensively is that he is pretty thin. So those physical, tough, strong wings can be difficult for him to handle, but that's where you have LeBron James or Anthony Davis. Uh, and Austin's another guy who can handle the ball, play make a bit. So for me, I, I like those two combinations. Uh, I mean, I might just say Malik and Austin, and you know you, you you might lose some defense there, but you're obviously getting some more offense. And I think around the big three, you want shooting, you want pace, you want athleticism, you want some youth. So I really like the Austin Malik pairing, uh, but I, I do think realistically Avery and or Stanley is going to start and, and provide that perimeter defense and, and just sort of that's the way Frank seems to be going. And you know, to me, it seems like Avery is a lock. He's kind of become that fourth lock. So in that case, I'd probably go Austin in that fifth spot uh, just for, again, some size, some additional shooting, playmaking, versatility, uh, and again, some some more defense. But if you want to stick with Stanley in there as the, the other front court guy, I would look more at Malik, who's more of an offensive threat versus an Avery, where now you're kind of going you know, off-ball actions. LeBron and AD are running a pick and roll, and your weak side is Russ, Avery and Stanley, I don't think that's really moving the needle. And I think defenses are going to pack the paint as you kind of saw Brooklyn do at times. So I guess to, to 
kind of finalize your, your question here. Ideally, I'd probably go Austin Malik, but I understand that Avery and or Stanley is probably going to start. So in that case, I, I would probably go Avery Austin or Stanley Malik and, and kind of split it up a bit offense, defense that way. So that is my ideal starting lineup. Definitely going 80 at the five, LeBron at the floor, uh, at the four and Russ at, at point guard and, and then filling in those two wing spots. I do not think Dwight Howard and obviously DeAndre Jordan uh, should be starting. Next question here from at Chino Busta 17. Who do you think the Lakers trade for in the deadline? Uh, I'm starting to lean towards the Lakers not making a move. I, I just think that the available option, like to me, the top two guys that were realistic were Jeremy Grant and Miles Turner. There's been some reporting on the Jeremy Grant situation that he's probably not going, he, he might not move in, in, in general, but I don't think he's going to go to LA and, and, you know, LA's package has already been out there and there's been reporting on both sides that Lakers didn't, you know, Lakers never offered that or weren't interested in that offer. Detroit rejected it. Uh, from what I heard, it, it does sound like Jeremy is probably staying put and not going to LA. Or, you know, if, or if he is moved, he's not going to LA. And that to me kind of eliminates maybe the, the best player you could have gotten realistically in the deadline. I, I think the other player I was interested in was Miles Turner. And I, I think he, he's someone that you could stay big, but also stay with a five out system. You know, he can, he can make threes. He can obviously protect the rim. I think him and AD together would be the best defensive four and five tandem in basketball. And then having LeBron there, like, I mean, that's just a monster front court. And you could kind of replicate some of those things that made that 2019-2020 title team so special with the, with their length and, and just that massive monster front court, but also do so in a more modern setting with a more modern big and, and Miles Turner, someone that can space the floor, pick and pop, play five out. So those were kind of my two guys that I was looking at uh, as and. I'm not alone in that, right? Like there's been reporting on that. And those are kind of the, the two names that have been floated out there. But aside from those two, I think maybe a Harrison Barnes, a Buddy Heald. I, I think there's going to be a Sacramento fire sale soon. Uh, maybe the Lakers could get involved there. But aside from that, I think the Lakers are probably best restructuring the rotation and just going younger and smaller. And you know, hopefully Kendrick Nunn is back for them. And uh, you know, that that's just another player that they can plug in 20, 25 minutes a night. But uh, yeah, I, I think really it, it might be more internal improvement of AD coming back, them changing their style, playing their better players, not playing uh, DeAndre and, and Wayne Ellington and Kent Bazemore and Trevor Ariza and, and going just with their top eight or nine and, and that kind of being the way that this team grows and gets better. Uh, and there's always a buyout market. And I don't know who exactly is going to be on the buyout market. Is like an Eric Gordon or or a Gary Harris going to be on the buyout market? Like maybe, I don't think so. So I don't know if there is that game changer that you can find to plug into the rotation. But I think, so I, again, I'm, I'm leaning towards the Lakers not really making a move. We will see. But I'm, I'm, I'm not that optimistic with, with the way things with the conversations I've had, it's sounding like most likely no. Uh, this question from you feel me or at you feel me, uh, which guards do you think minutes will be cut once Kendrick Nunn returns to the rotation if we don't trade him? Uh, I think it's going to be a combination of kind of everybody. Uh, I, I think 
depending on his defense and his productivity, there is a chance he could just take Avery Bradley's role like straight up and replace Avery as a starter and kind of keep it. Like, I think that's probably the ideal path is he's good enough defensively at pressuring the ball, at doing some of the things that Avery can do that, you know, my, my, my thing with Avery and, and we'll get into it because I know there's some Avery questions, but like, I do think that Avery, I think Avery's overrated defensively and underrated offensively. I think Avery, his ability to cut, his ability to move, uh, you know, 40-ish percent three-point shooter. Like, I actually think he he adds value offensively in, in sneaky ways. And I think teams don't respect him and don't guard him. And that actually works to his advantage because he can make them pay, again, with timely cuts, with making open threes. Uh, sometimes he, he settles for, for mid-range jumpers a little bit too much, and that really shouldn't be part of his game, uh, th- those you know mid-range pull-ups. But I think aside from that, like, he, he's actually can be sneaky, effective on offense. It's really the defensive end where I, I think – he will pressure the ball and, and, you know, he looks the part of a lockdown defender and, and he does have those moments, but I do think off the ball, both lock and trailing and, and getting around screens. And then also as a help defender and a defensive rebounder, uh, he is not very effective. So I think the easiest path is probably replacing Avery with Kendrick. Otherwise, I think it's probably a, a trickle down effect of few less minutes for Avery, few less minutes for Austin, few less minutes for, uh, Malik, few less minutes for, for Taylor. And Frank has kind of alluded to that, where he said, once Kendrick's back, he's going to have a role and he's going to play a certain amount of minutes. And those minutes are going to come at the expense of other people in the rotation. And depending on his performance, we will adjust a- at that point. But Kendrick, you know, Kendrick technically was the Lakers' second biggest addition this offseason, right? Uh, they, they trade for Russ, but Kendrick was the guy they signed for the taxpayer MLE. He's the guy making just under $6 million dollars uh, the, the fifth highest paid player on the team. So, you know, a guy coming off averaging 29 plus minutes back-to-back seasons in Miami. Uh, so uh, on paper, he's like the fourth or fifth best player on this team. And I think he's going to get every opportunity to show that. So I, I think m- most realistic is probably him maybe coming in, getting like 18, 20 minutes and taking some minutes off of everybody. But I think if he can't perform at a certain level, he can take the starting job outright from Avery. Next question here from at Hamas Tarek. Tariq, I, I don't, I'm sorry, I just butchered your name. Uh, Harrison Barnes as a trade target or other big wings that could be trade targets or buyout candidates like Gary Harris. As I mentioned, I, I like Harrison Barnes. I like, I even like Gary Harris as a buyout guy. Uh, Harrison, I think would be great because I think he would slot in perfectly in that front court role next to LeBron and AD. He's a good shooter. He could defend multiple positions. Uh, he can play the three or the four or even some five. Like, I, you know, you could go him and Stanley as like a four or five combo. Uh, I think he, he, like Harrison Barnes is, I think he's been over, like he's been viewed as overrated because of his contract. But if you actually just look at his his production and, and his skill set and what he can actually do and take the contract out of it, he still is a good productive player, just maybe not at the price point that he's been priced at. Uh, but that said, I do think he is someone that could help this team. Now, to get to his money, you're, you're going to have to throw in, it's going to be Taylor it's going to be Kendrick and, and maybe even something else. Uh, you know, I don't know, is that a heavily protected first round pick? Is that uh, a second round pick? Is is that one of the younger player? Like, you know, they, they might ask for Austin. I, I don't think you do that, obviously. But 
Like, I don't know if that gets it done, uh, but but maybe it does. You know, Sacramento, again, could be having a fire sale with just losing by 60 points, uh, 50 points to to Boston. Like, they're, <laughs> I think, you know, again, from what I've heard, it sounds like they are going to be making some some bigger moves and, and, and trading some guys away. So I would say for, for Sacramento, that, that might be realistic. Uh, Harrison Barnes, like, might end up being the, the best player the Lakers could realistically get. Uh, in, in a trade, Gary Harris, I, I like, obviously doesn't have the size is more in that like six, four, six, five range. And I think the Lakers probably need a little bit of a bigger wing, which is where Harrison Barnes at six, seven, six, eight, uh, I think kind of fits that and strong sturdy guy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the Lakers biggest need is another front court piece. Uh, that's why I liked Jeremy Grant. Uh, I, I don't think he's like a game changer, you know, makes them the favorites in the West, but I do think that that skill set of a long, athletic, versatile wing would really bolster the Lakers front court. Next question here from at Morris C. Thomas. Is Bayes going to get another chance? I don't think so. Uh, it was interesting to me that he did get the garbage time minutes over Wayne Ellington in the Brooklyn game. Only two minutes, so like not much to read into there, but I do wonder, like Bayes fits the new identity of the Lakers much more than he fit the previous identity and, and them playing smaller and rotating and flying out in transition and, and just that kind of small ball mentality and identity like that, that is more Kent Bazemore than the original slower, bigger group because that, you know, that those lineups, I think highlighted his inconsistent shooting, his sometimes poor decision-making and his ability, you know, kind of, playing that drop style and in, in, in certain ways defensively, I think kind of forced him into fouling a lot. And I think with the, with the flying around, rotating, helping, getting out in transition, like that is more Kent Bazemore style. So I don't want to fully rule it out, but I just think there's such a crunch. Uh, like I, I know that the coaching staff hasn't been Bazemore's biggest fan. That's ultimately why he went from, I mean, remember like he was probably playing better than DeAndre Jordan. Not even probably, like he was better than DeAndre to start the season. But the coaching staff gave up on Bazemore before they gave up on DeAndre. And that to me was kind of telling of like, even though he's outperforming this guy, like they're, they're both underperforming, but Bazemore is at least like playable. DJ isn't, but the Lakers are continuing to play DJ and Bazemore was yanked within 10 games. So I do think the coaching staff has given up on him is, is a strong, but but I, I think they, they've he's fallen out of favor clearly, right? And he's no longer in the rotation. So I, I do think that, most likely the answer is just like, okay, they they got, you know, they added Stanley. They already have Taylin. Uh, you know, there might be times in which LeBron has to play some three. You, you got Austin as well. Like you're going to get Kendrick back. Like th- that, the minutes at the two and the three are, are such that I just, I don't see a clear opening, especially again, if the Lakers end up adding somebody. Uh, so I actually might even say like, it's more likely Bazemore's off the team within the next like month or two than he, he finds his, way back in the rotation, but I wouldn't be shocked only because I, I think they've gone to an identity that fits Bazemore more than the, the previous one. But I would say as of now, my most likely scenario is he's just continues to be a bench warmer and, and, and maybe ends up even off the team, uh, if anything. Next question here from YoYo2K20. I like the YoYo. Uh, if Aaron Gordon got traded for RJ Hampton and a pick, why is THT none and a first suddenly a bad package for a similar player in Grant? This is a fair question. Um, I think RJ Hampton was a rookie at that time 
and it well you're also forgetting Gary Harris was in that trade so it was, it was Aaron Gordon and Gary uh, Gary Clark for RJ Hampton Gary Harris and a 2025 protected first round pick now the thing that fans have to keep in mind with with GMs is that a GM's job is very temporary you know like you, you do have to plan out for three four five seven years down the road but ultimately you are going to be judged on that season the following season maybe even the season after that so GMs have this weird balance of like it's not like coaching or coaching you're, you're on a game to game basis right and, and you need to be coaching you're not coaching for two years from now you're coaching for that game that night and, and, and you know coach coaches are in are in the present much more than GMs are but it's not as if GMs can just you know punt kick the, the present and I, I think while the Lakers 2027 or 2028 pick still has value obviously it's a first round pick and we don't know what state the Lakers will be in in five to six years. There is some like a, a 2020, uh, 2025 pick is more attractive than a 2027 pick. I, I think in, in most scenarios, especially for a front office, just because that is something that is more tangible, uh, you know, sooner. And so I, I think that pick is probably a little more attractive. RJ Hampton was a rookie and, and, and though didn't have a, a great rookie season necessarily, I, I think you know, people are very split on THT. Uh, you know, Kendrick Nunn has not played. We don't know exactly when he's coming back. That there's no guarantee he even comes back this season. Uh, THT, it's very eye, uh, you know, value in the, is in the eye of the beholder with him. Where the league talked, you know, talk to people around the league, talk to scouts. It's very split on. You know, people see okay, he can get to the rim at a high level. He can finish well. He's had these scoring outbursts. He's long. He's got a good frame. He's uh, he's so young. You know, he's only 21. Then you got people that are like. Dude can't shoot. And like maybe his best case scenario is like a good six man. And his worst case scenario is like an inconsistent bench score, which is really what he's been through his first three seasons. So I, I think TH, I think Laker fans are higher on THT than the collective around the league. I would say I'm, I'm more on the optimistic side with THT. So I, I do see why Laker fans or some Laker fans, because I, I know some of the fan base has, has kind of turned on him a little bit, but I, I see why Laker fans are high on him. But I, I'm, you know, just. Re- sharing that like there is a split with him among the league and it's not it's not all it's just not black and white of THT is this or THT is this it's like some people are higher in him some people are lower so maybe Detroit just doesn't see that value in him uh the the way that and like honestly I mean Grant Grant is older than him obviously but like maybe they just don't view him as a great fit with like Cade Cunningham and and I think you can make that case like they are both uh bigger ball handlers and um you know, I, I don't know if, if THT would be a great fit with Cade. So I would say, uh, and I also think there's a chance, I think Jeremy Grant at this stage might be viewed as a better player than Aaron Gordon was last year. And, and that might be debatable, right? But uh, I think Jeremy Grant has you know, done more offensively in Detroit than Aaron Gordon really did offensively in Orlando. And Aaron Gordon was, was a better defender and, and maybe a little more versatile, but like there, there are similar players and, and you know, it's funny because Aaron Gordon replaced Jeremy Grant in in Denver, but I would say, like, to your point, like, I, I think it's a fair question why that package is suddenly bad. But I also think you you can make the case some people would say that uh, Orlando sold low on Aaron Gordon, whereas Detroit, uh, and, and that was also a situation where Aaron Gordon had had been there for a while. He he demanded a trade. He asked out, and like I think Orlando was just looking to get him off their hands and, and kind of rebuild and, and restart. Whereas Detroit, I don't think they necessarily have to get rid of Jeremy Grant. 
I, I think it's a prudent thing to do. I think he doesn't really fit their timeline, but I think they're looking to maximize their value for him and they think they could get something better. So uh, I don't know if that exactly answers your question, but that's where I'm at with that potential Jeremy Grant trade. Next one here from at Notorious WMC. What is with Vogel's obsession with starting and playing Bradley over Monk and Reeves? Same question for playing Mello at center. These decisions are contrary to basic basketball principles of spacing on offense and size and athleticism on defense, yet Vogel keeps going to them. Let's start with the second part. I'm totally with you on the Mello at center. I, I think Mello, to me, Mello is the guy that probably, like among the current rotation, aside from Avery, like like to me, if there's two players that currently need their minutes reduced, it's Avery and Mello. I think the best versions, uh, the best version of the Lakers has a smaller role for Avery and Mello. I think that Austin can do a lot of the stuff Avery can do and can clearly do stuff that Avery can't do and is just a better player. Uh, I think, you know, Stanley can take on some of that defensive responsibility on the wing. Uh, I think Hendrick Nunn will eventually be able to. So I do think Avery should have a smaller role moving forward as the Lakers get healthier and, and fully transition into their, their new identity. Uh, as for Mello, I think we're going to see fewer center minutes with AD back because I think you can easily get to 48 minutes at center with AD and LeBron and even some Stanley if, if they want to use Stanley there or even, even some Dwight in, in certain matchups where he's playing 8, 10, 12 minutes. That's totally fine and, and you'll get those center minutes. So I don't think Melo needs to play any more center than he currently has. Uh, as for Avery, I kind of touched on it earlier in the podcast, but uh, I think Avery... Avery's grown on me because, uh, you know, I, I used to cover the Clippers and I covered Avery in probably his worst season ever with the Clippers in 2018-19. And, you know, the the Clippers were not the biggest fan of him. Uh, and, and there was some stuff about he wants a bigger role offensively and he's not happy with just being a role player. Like, he, you know, that, that was that season in which uh, the, the Clippers ended up being the eight seed. And it was like a mix of Montrezl Harrell, New Williams, Pat Beverly, Shea Gildress-Alexander, Landry Shamit. And it was like, Daniel Gallinari, like these guys, it's just like this ragtag group of role players who are all like overachieving collectively offensively. And I think Avery wanted a bigger piece of that pie and, and viewed himself on the same level as some of those guys. And the Clippers did not agree with that. And there was some pushback for, from Doc and, and uh, some of the coaching staff on, on like how big his role should be. Uh, at the same time, Doc loved him and, and had him in Boston and, and would play, you know, similar Similar to Frank, he would play him and start him, and, and uh, the, the fan base was very upset at Avery's role. Uh, and, and then, you know, someone I, I talked to in the organization was like, everyone talks about Avery's on-ball defense, but watch him off the ball. He does not care and move the same way that he does on the ball. And he's very much like when the spotlight's on him, he will try and do everything right. But when he's off the ball, watch how he plays. And ever since then, it just changed the way I view Avery's defense because if you really study him off the ball, he is nowhere near as effective of a defender. And so I saw Avery at his lowest, and I think that has sometimes colored my judgment a little bit where uh, I'm probably lower on Avery than, than most people in the media, at least. But he has grown on me. I, I think, uh, again, the, the cutting, the 40% three-point shooting, and some of the defensive performances, you got to give him his credit and his due. And Ultimately, I think that Avery is similar to Dwight to me, where he has a specific role, but it's more of a game-to-game -game basis of, do we need Avery's skill set tonight? And there's going to be matchups 
in which I think the Lakers don't need it. And there's going to be matchups in which they do need it. And so I, I personally would bring Avery off the bench. I think he's more of like a 10 to 12 minute a night guy, maybe 15 to 18 in certain matchups. Uh, someone's cooking the Lakers on the perimeter and you need him to lock in. Sure, go to Avery. But on a night to night basis, I don't think they need a defensive specialist who I think while while underrated offensively can also be a net negative offensively, especially if he isn't making shots that night. Uh, so I'm with you. I, I think Avery and Mello are the two people in the rotation that should have their roles reduced moving forward. Uh, Mello, I don't think should play any center. And I think, again, won't play as much uh, center moving forward. And, and Avery, I think there's a chance he ultimately loses his role. Uh, this one from Aaron Lobhan. Similar, similar question. Will Vogel ever limit Bradley's minutes when the eye test and stats all back up that he's not good as Monk and Reeves? Look, I'm with you guys. I think Monk and Reeves should be starting. Uh, I, I think that's the best two, three combination. I think they're, they're young, they're athletic. They fit this new, I mean, they, they are right there with Stanley Johnson as like three players that have unlocked this new style of identity for the Lakers. So I'm with you guys. I, I think Frank clearly values those guys as game changing pieces off the bench and, and with that second unit. But Again, you know, I've kind of talked about Avery now for way too much on this podcast. Uh, I think there, there's a chance that he ends up losing his starting spot. Uh, maybe not a high chance. Uh, from at Pickup Hoop, what is your eight-man rotation if the playoffs started tomorrow? Good question. So let's go with my ideal starting lineup of Monk and Reeves. I think you're, hmm. I think I'd probably go, so we're going 80 we're going LeBron, we're going Reeves, Monk, and Russ. It's tough to say without knowing what version of Kendrick we're getting, because I think if Ken if Kendrick is who Kendrick has been, he's probably in there. Uh so let's just let's be optimistic. Let's say Kendrick is Kendrick. So Kendrick's in there. Uh then I think Stanley's in there. And then I really think it it comes down to if, if we're sticking with eight, it comes down to the matchup. And it's probably Mello versus Talon. I might go, honestly, I might go Talon uh, just because, again, I'm, I'm kind of prioritizing here, like who fits with that uh, smaller, you know, small ball, fast paced identity. I, I could be talked into Mello, and I do think that Mello has kind of earned just because of his status and, and his shooting, like he, he's going to probably be in the rotation. So if I stretch it to nine, I would go Mello and Talon. And then I'm looking at Avery, Dwight, uh, and I'm, I'm probably forgetting somebody else like on, on the outside looking in. But like Trevor, I, I think probably shouldn't be playing right now. And, and we'll see. Maybe we, the Lakers get a better version of Trevor. But as of now, I, I'd probably go Talon. Uh, I think Melo's going to be picked on in the playoffs. Uh, and unless like Melo to me is very much, you see his first couple shots. And if a shot's falling, it's a good mellow night. If a shot's not falling, it's a bad mellow night because Melo's not out there. He's a solid defensive rebounder, but he's not out there for his defense. And if he's not hitting shots, uh, like like uh, I'm now struggling to remember what game. I think it was the Indiana game where like if he's having a bad shooting night, Melo should not be playing more than like 12 minutes or, or, or even that much. Like he needs to be out there, you know, draining shots to really provide uh, proper value in my opinion. So, that's my eight. Uh, again, 
AD, LeBron, and Russ, as you expect. Austin, Malik, Stanley, Kendrick, and uh, Talon. But there's some flexibility there where if you go to nine, eight, eight and a half, I think Melo's in there. And I also think there's a chance that if Kendrick isn't Kendrick, maybe you just go Talon, Melo with no Kendrick, or do you find some time for Avery? This one is from The Truth Hurts with two S's. What would be the best trade option for the Lakers? Well, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, again, like I think Harrison Barnes might end up being the best realistic option. Uh, I don't think that the Lakers are going to find anything better than that. Uh, so like, again, Jeremy Grant, I think is probably the best, like best pie in the sky one is, is probably Jeremy Grant. But in terms of realistic options, it might end up being Harrison Barnes. So that's probably the the, the way that I would look uh, at Bronx Brody zero possibility that Kenrich, uh, Kenrich Williams comes to the Lakers. That's a popular one. Uh, you know, shout out to uh, Krangis for plugging, uh, you know, leading the way on the Kenrich Williams uh, fan club and, and getting him to the Lakers. Uh, I, I think it really depends on, again, like what OKC is looking for. Like they have a million picks. So, you know, are they looking for a young guy? Are they looking for another pick? Uh, you know, I, I don't think the Lakers should give up a first for him, obviously. So, you know, would they give up a second and and someone else? Uh, is that like a, a Kendrick and a second or uh, like, I, I don't, I don't know exactly. And maybe they, they take something back from OKC. I, I don't know exactly know the framework on that deal, but I think Kenrich would help. He, he's probably, maybe he's a more realistic target than like a Harrison Barnes. But I, I think th- there's just, you know, with, with OKC, they are very particular with the types of deals they do. And I don't know if they're just going to dump Kenrich Williams on the Lakers and and potentially help the Lakers. Like I still think, uh, even though it's no longer the days of of you know Kobe and Powell and um, some of some of the trades that earned the Lakers uh, some some scoffing around the league. Like I don't think anyone wants to go out of their way to help the Lakers. That's still a thing, and and you don't want to be the team that that gave them the Pau Gasol. Not that Kenrich Williams is the Pau Gasol, but like there, there's just that element of like we don't want to be the team that like helps restart the Lakers season. So that's partially why I think the Lakers just might not even make a trade to, to begin with is, is there's, there's some of that out there, but I also just think like, I, I don't know if OKC is going to be that team, you know, OKC in particular. So last one here from at dagger one, one, two, two, three, three. What are your thoughts on 80s play? How he looked in his return? I thought 80 was solid. I, I thought like, you know, sure there was a little bit of rust, but he was out for almost six weeks. He missed 17 games. Like that is to be expected, especially for, a bigger guy, a guy who kind of restructured his frame a little bit. Um, from, from what I was told, AD lost some weight, was in the weight room a lot, but but was kind of trying to shed some weight uh, that he had gained this offseason and, and some of that muscle and size. So uh, I think given the fact that he had a, such a serious knee injury and it wasn't serious enough to warrant surgery, but it, it obviously was serious enough for, to keep him out for for six weeks, like given all that and, and, and sort of how quickly he returned, I do think that it, you know he he looked solid and defensively four blocks and a steal, uh, you know continues to be a game changer on that end. I've used the word game changer three times in this podcast. I, I got to stop using that. Uh, that that stuff sticks out to me. So, uh, um, like he he's the eraser, right? And, and it's not just the shot blocking; it's the contests. It's it's the it's opposing players knowing AD is back there. But uh, I highlighted some some plays in, in my most recent article for the Athletic where. There's one where you know he just corrals James Harden on a pick and roll. 
stays at the same level, you know, that no man, you know, no man behind, no roller behind, uh, drop, co- you know, drop coverage defense where he stays with Dayron Sharp, uh, the, the net center. And like he's, he's in line with him, but he's also sticking with James. And James tries to create that separation for a floater. AD quickly responds and blocks it. Then there's another play where Patty Mills is in the corner, comes off a screen, goes into a handoff with Nick Claxton, and AD anticipates it and blocks him coming off the screen. So like AD, it's it's just about all the little things defensively. I think that was a huge part in the Lakers getting out transition, having their 27 fast break points, which was a season high. And I thought most importantly, he helped a lot defensively. And offensively, I think his offense is going to come. He had the one lob to start the game. He, he hit a couple jumpers, missed a few jumpers, missed the alley-oop uh, you know, opportunity, uh, missed a little bunny hook around, around the basket. And like, yeah, like I think I think the offense is, is the one area that he can improve on and, and will improve on. But I thought overall, AD looked solid and uh, like as, as good as you could realistically look coming back from that injury. And again, he, he's going to get his legs under him, his conditioning under him. And I think he's going to continue to look better. But given the time he had missed and, and coming back into like a new style of play, I, I think he, he looked solid. So uh I don't know if I'm exactly optimistic yet on the Lakers. I know I've been kind of pessimistic the last couple of weeks with just this up and down play and some of the things we've seen from them recently. But I do think obviously AD makes them better. Uh, they are officially 20, 20, uh, 24 and 24 in the season. They're 10 and 10 with AD. They're nine and seven with their big three. Let's see what happens because I, I do think AD's coming into a new environment. They're playing smaller. They're going to go AD and LeBron at the five. They're going to go... Uh, again, r- rotating defensively, getting out uh, in, you know, trapping and rotating, playing a faster style of play, getting out transition and playing with much better spacing and, and, and more of a five out system. So I think all those things are going to help AD. I think AD is going to fit seamlessly into it the the way he did in, in against Brooklyn. And I think that the Lakers are going to actualize their potential. I don't know what their potential is, right? Like, I don't know if that's contender. I don't, I don't know exactly what that is, but I, I think they are going to actualize it now as long as they can stay healthy. But thank you guys so much for listening. This is a fun Q&A pod. I will be sure to do at least a couple more before the playoffs. Uh, but thank you again for listening. And you can follow us. Uh, well, you can follow me at Yovan Buha uh, on all social platforms, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. You can obviously follow The Athletic at The Athletic or go to theathletic.com to subscribe. Helps me if you subscribe off of one of my stories. That would be much appreciated. And be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks again. I will talk to you soon.